Welcome to Woods and the Sound, a monthly audio series held by Foresta Collective, where we converse, listen to, and exchange with humans and modern humans in dedication to the emergence of an imaginary for a more ecological and connected being in the world. Monthly themes are sprouting from Foresta Lexicon and are explored deeper in our Ecologies of Attention Dojo, an online community of practice for this time in between paradigms. As things become more fluid and less fixed, we believe it's important to hold spaces for slow discernment, reconnection to a more embodied presence, and poetic outlook. As you are listening to conversations, practice, and soundscapes in this podcast, we encourage you to pay attention to resonances also as a physical experience and reverberations of breath. In this episode, we are exploring play, that state of sensitivity, openness, readiness for surprises, that quality of connectedness and flow, imagination and capacity for joy. In play, we are free to speak, to make, to be, in ways where the intuitive flow can take over. We think of play as a quality that has a capacity to bust the cement and solemnity of established narratives, the dominant structures and histories we inherit and inhabit. For this episode, we invited Piet Butcherbird, Claire Edwards, Hollis Taylor and John Rose, who make interspecies music together. A theatre practitioner at full-size theatre, Joan Tremarco, and an improvisational musician Stephen Nachmanovich to explore play together with us this month. So first of all, Stephen, thank you so much for joining this Woods and the Sound. Maybe as a ritual for opening the series that we could share with each other a kind of a context marker right mm. so that, that we begin the stamenos here now wonderful wonderful well the idea of context marker was created by my teacher gregory bateson who um, realized long ago that communication is not all at one level that there are context markers, that there are messages about messages or meta-messages that classify our communication and, and bring it out into a third and higher dimensions. Uh, the message, this is play. The message, this is theater. The message, this is an argument. All of those kinds of things. And um, so those messages mark contexts. Now, Kathleen Rain, uh, who was another friend, elderly friend of mine from long ago, uh, was she was a poet and scholar of Jung and William Blake from England, who lived in France, and she developed the idea of the temenos, taken from ancient Greek. In ancient Greek times, they talked about the temenos as the sacred precinct or the sacred space 
within which certain special things could happen. And you might think of it as the stage in the theater or the cathedral or something like that. But of course, this room is a temenos, your room is a temenos. Uh, wherever you go, if you have the attitude, if you mark the context as being special or interesting or worth paying attention to, that becomes a temenos. And so part of what you're alluding to is the idea of walking in nature or walking in the city and being able to make special what you're perceiving and realize that you are part of something extraordinary, which is life. Absolutely. So how do we do that? How do we mark this context now? Ah, oh. <laughs> well, you simply decide to, okay? You have the choice. So here you and I have chosen to have a conversation about this. And here we are, of course, we're on Zoom. You're in Berlin. I'm in Charlottesville, Virginia. We're in two little boxes on our computer screens. But the union of our two boxes can be a mundane conversation or it can be a temenos because of how we view it and how the person who's participating with us on the other side of that screen chooses to view it. As long as you make a decision, any space can become, it's not mundane or yes. any mundane conversation yes. can be. Um, also, you, you write a lot about arts and life not being anymore so separated. And, you know, with Foresta Collective, we are very interested in that. We are actually exploring learning through arts and what we call embodied culture. So bringing the body and the arts into the roots of learning as a methodology, you could say. Usually education does not fully, let's say it like this, support the free playing nature that we have. Um, yes. How do you feel that uh, this human expressiveness or imagination, connectedness, right? You also say, I look out of the window and I, and I see the living world out there and I feel like I feel connected. And, and this is where I also feel like I'm part of maybe this living creating force and, and um, human and not only in this way. So how do you feel that education could actually move towards recognizing arts or recognizing contemplative practices mm -hmm. or for expanding imagination or connect or, or this connectedness that we so yeah. desperately need you could say also right speaking of environment maybe environment is also a kind of a context marker because we are also environment like if there will be no environment there will be no humans either right so we yes. are this context marker is even larger i guess yes well, you've raised so many questions that we could spend the next six weeks talking about just those. But just picking randomly one of the things that you, you talked about, the free play and education, how can we bring them together? The play instinct, the, 
the imaginative capacity. Um, we often think of education as an adult standing up and children in a classroom. And in some ways that needs to be reversed because it is from children that we learn how to play, how to be imaginative, even how to walk, because um, children are our teachers, especially in the fields of being, having sensory awareness of what is around you and commenting and discovering connections that we usually don't connect. Uh, if you're interested in dance or into various kinds, if you look at textbooks of dance or textbooks of uh, things like Alexander Technique or Feldenkrais or any of these body therapies, and if they want to show you a picture of great posture and balance, what do they show you? They usually show you a picture of a three-year-old child, right? Because they teach us how to float and balance and they don't have to worry about how they're holding their head because their head is... Floating. Floating, exactly, exactly. And so they're our teachers. There are a few um, methods of education. I'm thinking of my friends in the Reggio Emilia schools that really uh, capitalize on what teachers can learn from students and how to allow little kids free play to explore things and then the teacher can say, well, that's interesting. What about this? And what about this? And present a couple of things, but then let the kids grab this and figure out what to do about it. There's that wonderful film about Glenn Gould called 32 Short Pieces, 32 Short Films about Glenn Gould. And it has a, a reconstructed scene where little baby Glenn Gould is sitting in his mother's lap in front of the piano and uh, he puts his finger on a key and she says, well, that's interesting. Now, what if you put your finger up higher? And what does that sound like? And what if you put your finger down lower? And what does that sound like? Okay, so the teacher has an extraordinary role in asking questions. But then it's the child who has the job of teaching us what the possibilities are, because we often forget. Right, and it's even, I guess it even could, we could even expand it to adult education as well. Like oh, yes. Very interested in collective practices and collective learning. Yes. And where you know, we are offering exactly as you're saying, and I guess we are all teachers and we are all students in some ways. And, and how can this collective intelligence be unified and 
um, shared and mutualized and connected. Yes, you put that in the form of a question. How can this collective intelligence be shared and utilized? That's the great question. Now, someone with a certain kind of mind that is often respected in our society will say, okay, I will have the program of here are the five different ways. I, and I'm going to write a book with five chapters. And these are the five different ways that your collective intelligence can be utilized. And then they'll have a program and they'll give it a name and they'll sell it. Okay. But that's not the right approach. The right approach is what you are saying, which is to ask the question. And if it's an important question, the question will hang there in midair, in the temenos that you create by being together and asking the question. And people will discover their ways of utilizing their collective intelligence, and it won't be any of these five. Yeah, because it will never work. The five A, B, C, do this, do that. It will work for someone, but not for someone else. Right, and, right, right. Um, and I guess this is uh, this is this idea. You know, I don't know if you know Marisol de la Cadena, Peruvian anthropologist. Uh, she speaks about the world of many worlds, and I guess how colonization has been. Uh -huh. ultimately a colonization of the mind into one world world and this one world world is kind of how we are believing in one narrative and kind of uh, running after things that actually are meaningless or unhealthy or not supporting our well-being or creativity or you know just like because we believe from this one world narrative uh, we believe that this is what this is how one lives right this is how this is what a good life is but actually and i guess this is why free play and creativity is so interesting because there are it's a world of many many worlds and um and you know how do we it's like like that we speak of the biodiversity but there is also diversity within hu humans right like who we are and how we express ourselves in the world and who we can be together and, and you know we could also take it even further and say well education i guess education is maybe moving in this direction at least some schools you mentioned reggio emilia there are also other uh, alternative thinking within uh, within educational systems but even within organizations you know that it's not some organizations uh, like trying to work on self-organized principles and challenge hierarchies and challenge rigid structures um, so not controlling reality but rather trying to listen and to learn to appreciate the complexity and not to shrink from the complexity and not to shrink from the complexity which is which is a challenge right like we, yes. Yes. we because this interconnectedness you know when we speak of interconnectedness with the world out there and between us it's so complex that it's we cannot contain it in our minds the, the it's, it's too big, it's, it's too overwhelming. So we try to control it and to break it into smaller pieces. Right. Uh, well, you said the metaphor you used, which is a common metaphor, we cannot contain it within our minds. 
And there's a very simple explanation of that because it's not in our minds. Our minds are in it. You know, we are human beings in an environment. We're in a total ecology of nature and we're in this social ecology of our city, wherever we live. Um, so the environment, the it, the complex it that you refer to is so much bigger than we are. And of course, it's interesting to try to contain it in your mind, to make models and theories and so forth uh, that help you um, orient yourself. But you're not actually containing it. It's containing you. I've been having interesting experiences here during the pandemic. Uh, I'm very, very fortunate and that I live in a place in the country here in Virginia with a lot of woods outside my house. And so suddenly I couldn't travel, I couldn't go anywhere, I couldn't quote, do anything, whatever that means. Um, so uh, I would just take walks in the woods every day. And I became fascinated by the bird sounds. I'd always been hearing the bird sounds, but now I was really hearing them. I'd always been interested in biology and writing about ecology and the environment and our relationship to other species. But now, just being on that trail in the woods, I was really listening more deeply than I had before. And I started recording the birds and bringing the sounds into the studio and slowing them down and dropping them two or three or four octaves and playing with the sound and laying violin and electric violin and viola de more tracks over it and learning how to leave space because, of course, what's interesting in human music is the space between the notes. And when you listen to the birds out there in the woods, you're hearing this incredible multilingual conversation, spatial in all directions, with a lot of silence and a lot of pauses and the more you listen to the silence, the more interesting the sounds are. Mm -hmm. So I ended up doing an album of new music called Hermitage of Thrushes with the birds. And uh, then I hooked up with a good friend of mine, David Rothenberg, who is also a musician and also a philosopher. And he has a long, long background of playing with birds, playing with whales, insects, all kinds of creatures. Uh, he spent a lot of time in Berlin and wrote a book called Nightingales in Berlin about musicians, he and other musicians in Berlin doing musical dialogues with the nightingales in Treptower Park. And uh, um, anyway, so he and I did a um, album together. It's really interesting. It's a really interesting process. 
and this again, it's one of the like playing like my experience of playing with birds. It's one of the um, gifts of the pandemic. I mean, here's this horrible event that has really changed people's lives and taken many lives. And it's, it's very difficult and it's continuing to be very difficult throughout the world. Uh, but there's also, uh, I became familiar through James Joyce's Finnegan's Wake with uh, the idea that came from old Catholicism of the fortunate fall. The idea that the fall, you know, of course, in the Bible, they talk about the fall as this catastrophic, uh, you know, tumbling into reality of the uh, previously, you know, marvelous angelic beings that once were. Um, but without that fall, none of this conversation that you and I would be happening, none of the diversity of the ecology would be happening, none of the diversity of our cities would be happening. Uh, and uh, there I spoke before about Herbert Zipper making music in the concentration camps and finding something to do in the worst place in the world, finding something to do that at least temporarily redeems a few moments of that life. So that's the fortunate fall. For me, because I am so very fortunate as to have a home, which many people don't have, and to have a music studio and live in the country where I could take walks, uh, I found that I could um, make use of that fortune in some way by learning from my environment things that I didn't know before and hoping to transmit that and share it with people. I guess uh, when you speak about the bird songs and now James Joyce, and um, it makes me think of language yeah. and how, how there are so many languages and how also you know you and i we, we use spoken language or some you know the books the written language to to communicate and how language can be both like a means to to see something deeper and to understand something deeper finding the right like right words to express something but it can yeah. be also the opposite, right? I gave a name to something. I know it is that. So I'm right. not seeing that thing anymore. And I guess right. with James Joyce or also other, like more than human languages, I guess this is where it becomes very interesting because the rational language can merge with the language of intuition or senses. Or Yes. When I teach, one of the things that I do when there isn't a global pandemic is go around the world teaching workshops in improvisation. And in such a workshop, you might have a few very talented musicians and a few people who can't play an instrument. And but but are there, there might be some great dancers and there might be some people who have other talents. And so the great equalizer of all of those talents is baby talk. 
because everyone, 100%, not a, only a small percentage of us can play the violin well or the piano well or whatever, but 100% of us, knew how to speak in gibberish and baby talk, and we can communicate that way. And of course, that's what Joyce taps into a little bit in Finnegan's Wake, which is, you know, less than language and more than language through the medium of printed language, which was a hard thing to do. Um, we learn through being able to just make sounds that we can communicate and we can move and dance and make gestures and that people are able to make interesting in improvised pieces using the very simple tools that everybody has. And then you can move on to the instruments that you're skilled at. And then you can move on to other forms of expression. Absolutely. It also connects some to something more primordial, I guess. Yes. And it also makes me think of, I, I'm wondering if you wrote about it, or but somehow I have it also in my mind about play being transformed into ritual or a kind of connection between play and ritual or myth, especially because you are writing so much about mythology that um, is a kind of a, a spirit of, of play that is present in mythologies of all the different cultures. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, the Spirit of Play, there is a book by Johan Huizinga, a Dutch historian, uh, called Homo Ludens, where he takes apart the play element in all of human culture, science, law, academics, mechanics, all kinds of things. Um, certainly play is the root of so much human experience and so much human culture. If you are a child who plays and you grow up to be a scientist, you are playing with things, you're tinkering things, you're experimenting them, you're taking them apart to see how they work. If you are interested in art, then you're interested in playing with sound, playing with movement, playing with color. And as you play, that becomes a ritual. Okay, we talked at the, you brought up the idea of the temenos at the beginning, that a ritual is really what happens when you put a boundary, you have some form of play, and now you put a boundary around it so that within this particular environment, it is special. It's intense. And like all things, it's interesting, but the degree of interest is enhanced by the play within a confined space. And thus we have rituals of all kinds. The rituals of art, the rituals of religion, the rituals of theater the rituals of you and I having this conversation within these two boxes on Zoom. Right, like this ritual aspect, I guess this is very interesting, especially if we are thinking that we are, we are part of Western culture that is 
not much rituals are left. Yeah. And there is maybe a now a collective sense that people are searching for another story, right? Like for the archetypal images kind of yes. maybe rethinking some of them. But I guess you cannot just rethink an archetype because it is an archetype. It's it's there and yes. But how they play, maybe the, this play, right? Like how do they play with each other? How do the archetypes behave in the world and which archetypes do we feed and which we don't and how do we find cracks in the established structures in the dominant yes. stories yes where the not yet spaces can where, where i guess i guess this is also why play is so interesting because we can enter playfully we can enter through the cracks we can enter into those not yet spaces into the possibly into perceiving maybe other stories that that are waiting to be that, that that i guess we are collectively searching for other stories that we're collectively searching for because the stories that we as and i don't want to just say western civilization because um civilizations all over the world have participated in this kind of industrial limiting of the possibilities of the human spirit because of economics and because of this insane concentration on growth that we have that is so toxic. Um, so the stories we have wound ourselves into a corner with the very limited stories that the big civilization is interested in. And we need to crack open that corner somehow and become aware of other stories. And we don't really need to invent them. The stories are happening all around us in the woods, being told to us by the birds, being told to us by the children in our environment, being told to us by the air and the water and the way the big context of our life is integrated around us. So to be, uh, to become more sensitive to those stories is a big job for us right now. And it can be a very pleasant job. Uh, it's, it, it is, um, common as we contemplate the ecological destruction that's going on around us. Uh, it is easy to be um, despairing and very, very serious because the consequences are so serious. But it actually can be pleasant to crack open one's mind to the larger possibilities of not being all tightly wound up in this trajectory of our civilization and to find other stories that we can be part of that are more life-giving and helpful. Did you hear one of the stories from the birds that you could share? Uh, should I play you one?
know, there is this question of reliability and um, playfulness seems to be often yeah. to unreliability. Yeah. How much yeah. can you actually rely on someone who is so playful and like right, right, right. Well, it's true. This is one of the great balancing things of life. Okay, we often take William Blake, the great poet, said art and science cannot exist, but by naked beauty displayed. And what he meant by that was data that if you're an artist, or if you're a scientist, you have to truly look at the world and truly examine it critically and understand how all the parts fit together. And there's so many aspects of the artistic method and the scientific method that are the same, really. I mean, they both involve experimentation. They both involve being open to surprise. They both involve they both involve being open to having all of your preconceived ideas busted open by the data that you encounter in the world. But the one place where they differ is the scientific method requires replicability that if I'm doing an experiment here in Virginia and you do the same experiment in Berlin and you and I have different personalities that we would still get the same result. Okay, whereas in an artistic context, we are especially happy because you and I have different personalities and you and I will get different results in the art that we create. And so that's the difference between art and science. And when you have a difference like that, you are wanting to be able to always balance them. I guess the more we go away from the body and the senses and this eros as a force, and the more we go into our minds and start judging the world according to the list of right and wrong, yeah and clever and stupid then it's like it becomes very binary it becomes very uh, flat also yeah like just x y that's it yeah that's right and and very boring also because then we already know in advance what is kind of uh, as right. if again trying to control the situation as even if right. it's for the good for, for for good like for to offer a great kind of performance or a great atmosphere or to guide people through an experience but maybe you know there is this like the plane doesn't come or whatever the bus the potatoes burn and then it needs to be there maybe it's you know it's part of this um experience and it becomes alive and true yeah. and real and yeah. free play yeah. i guess that's right that's right and then any space that you're in can become the Demonos. <laughs> well, thank you so much. This was so wonderful. Thank you. Play? I don't want to play. That's for children. I mean, thank you very much for the offer, but I'm kind of grown up now. I don't do that sort of thing. I um you know I I do grown up things. I make things happen. I mean I I work.
course, and I have children and responsibilities, people that depend on me. I mean, I like to play with my kids sometimes, you know, play their games. Yeah, sometimes their games are really boring though. Oh God, so boring. I don't actually like playing with my children at all, actually. I just, I have to play with them. And I, I have to feel like I have to pretend I enjoy it. I, I, I feel quite guilty about that, actually, that I don't enjoy playing with my kids. Oh, I've said it, thank goodness, it's out. It feels so good to say it. I don't enjoy playing with my children. They drive me mad. See, all this talk that children have this amazing imagination. And I say, great, let's play. And then they give me a toy and they tell me exactly how I have to move that toy. I mean, where does that begin? No, mummy. That's not what that character does. That character says, yes, yes, yes. And then I punch them and they fall over. Even the plastic toys look bored. I wish I could move in a different way. Or I at least wish they'd move me in a way that breathes life back into me. They just push me around. Yes, yes, yes. And then, there's no grace in it, really. I mean, I know I'm an unforgiving plastic warrior toy, but if they just try to breathe life into me. Hello, Martin's mummy. Could you be a bit more delicate with me, do you think? I'd like that very much. I mean, I have sensibilities too. Oh, that's nice. And when you say yes, can you say it with a bit more intonation? Yes. 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 Oh. I haven't had that neck joint used by anyone in a long time, Martin's mummy. Feels very nice to be allowed to nod. Oh, the punch is coming now. It, it always comes like this. When he punches me, will you articulate my neck joint some more? Oh, here it comes. Oh, I'm back. Let's return for more. That's it, Martin's mummy. That's really good. And now Martin's mummy comes the 
final end where I get thrown across the room. I'm glad you're here, because when you're not here, I sometimes get thrown in the toilet. I spoke too soon. <laughs> I'm lucky. It's just a stagnant wee this time. Oh, it's been worse. What is mummy? Get me out and wash me, please. Oh, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't see that coming. I, I, it's all right. It's all right. I've enjoyed playing with you. Why is it that children are so limited with their play? Well, not all of them, but yeah, some are. Mummy, do you like to play? Do you? You like to play. Sounds so suggestive when you say it like that. No, it doesn't. I just mean, do you like to play? Like, do you have... Do you give yourself time to just twiddle around and see what happens? Still sounds terribly suggestive. God, it doesn't. I just mean... What is it to play anyway? To play. I mean, we carry around plays inside us, right? Plays of our lives. With all our fears, our doubts, our joys, our fantasies. What's in the play of your life? I mean, I interrupted you. When I interrupted you before, you were in the play of your life, were you not? Were you walking around and imagining what you might say to someone who'd upset you? Or perhaps you were there reliving a moment so special to you. worrying about whether you'd get everything done on time. Perhaps. The play of your life is now just like monotony. Work home, sleep, work home, sleep, work home, sleep, work home, sleep, work home, sleep. But did you see that bush that you just walked past? Goes to your head, isn't it? I dare you. I stick my head in a bush on the way home. Are you joking? No, I'm not. Go and have a go. If the play of your life is so boring, why not go and see if you can watch another play? Well, uh, I mean, that's what the theatre's for, right? All the neighbours, all the people that walk past, 
curtains. Oh my God, what are they doing? What are they doing? They have their head in a bush. I don't, I don't know if they're okay. Do you want to come and have a look? Oh my God, that is not a healthy person. They have their head in... What are they doing? Are they waiting for someone? Do you think? Do you think we should call the police? I'm going to call the police. This can't be normal behaviour. Oh God, we're in danger. Our neighbour is potentially a psychopath. We need the police. No, darling, let's not call the police just yet. Let's all get carried away. A little bird just flew out of that bush. Singing a little song. This wasn't such a bad idea, coming in here. Wow. All the things that exist in here. Hello. Whoa, you're a big spider, aren't you? Knit one. Oh, one. Hello, hello there, dear. Yes, knit one. Oh, one. Yes. I'm making a big blanket. Yes. Well, as you can see, there are webs galore and little creatures caught in them. Sadly for them, lucky for me. And lucky for my children, too. Although I don't have enough flies to eat. I have to eat my own offspring. Yes, strange. I suppose you judge that, you humans, but knit one, pearl one. Seeing as my children lived this year, knit one, pearl one. I'm gonna make them a lovely big blanket and they can all snuggle up in it with me. And we can watch the human. Ha, you're right on time. Popcorn, little ones? Yes, Mummy, yes. Mummy, this is popped. Yes, I know, popcorn, pop flies, whatever you want to call it. I wrap them in a special little hmm, peppery sauce. So, you've come to watch us, have you? We'll be staying long. I just wanted to see. Everyone's coming in for the night. Little mousies down there. Hello. Who's this big fella then? <laughs> Mousy. I've told you to give up those cigarettes. They'll be the death of you. Ah, I just find them on the bushes. I know you do. I just find them here. 
Oh, let this girl resist having a little suck of <sighs> Make me feel better since Mrs. Mouse got caught in the trap. That horrible house over the road is it your house? Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, we, 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 we did have a, we did, we did, we did catch. Uh, I mean, recently, yes. Yeah, it was my wife. All right, we never got married. <laughs> you might say we were living in sin. <laughs> but I'd say she was my girl. We never had any babies. We were gonna go and see the world. We were just stopping in this bush. Just for a little while. We were going to move on. We packed our little bags. It's her one. Might be needing that anymore. I'm sorry, Mouse. What do you want me to do? <laughs> you, you've got a fine cheek coming in here. Trauma trailing, coming to watch us. Yes, well, we quite enjoy watching the humans. Yeah, well, I don't. I want him gone. Uh, okay, I, I really shouldn't have come in. No, come back another time, won't you? We'd enjoy meeting you again. Oh my God. Oh, poor creature. Completely off their rockers. Is there a play that we're all playing a part in? Are you tired of the roles you play? Sometimes I think I am. Tired of the roles I play. So, shall we play together? Sort parts. Come, let's see what we can do.
Thanks for tuning in to Woods and the Sound. If you would like to explore the ideas and experiences of play further, we invite you to join us for a collective practice dojo, which is taking place online on the 19th of August. For more details and registration, you'll find the link in podcast notes. We also thank Pied Butcherbird, Claire Edwards, Hollis Taylor and John Rose for the opening and closing tunes that mark the context of this podcast. Also, do send us your questions, answers, comments. We'd love to hear from you. And see you in the woods. <laughs>